right. It's a blessing to be here today. Make sure that we got everything on here. Uh, open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. For those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Andre. I'm a pastoral intern at Living Word Bible Church, which is the church that's going to gather here in about three hours. So some of you aren't aware, but there's a lot of people that go through this church on Sunday. You guys come through, we come through. It's a huge, it's a huge blessing. Um, you know, I always want to take the opportunity to once again remind you and thank you guys for just the ministry of just sharing the building with us. It's huge. And our church has been going through some really um, amazing seasons, challenges, but also blessings these last three and a half years. And none of that could be happening without a place to gather. And so just wanted to thank you guys one more time for um, serving us, for blessing us, and for praying for us as you guys do. Um, because God is working among us, and it's, it's a really huge blessing to see that. Just sharing and talking with Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy also, you know, he's sharing some of the things that God's doing in your guys' church, and it's, it's really powerful, it's really essential for us as Christians to be seeing God, God's work, to be blessed and to be encouraged as we look and see the reality of God's blessing among us. Um, but also I think we quickly realize as we look at, as we reflect on God's work among us, we also see that it comes with a fair share of challenges and trials and difficulties and temptations, um, that it's not always this smooth, paved road of spiritual growth and blessing. And I think for us, especially as people who live in, in, in the Western world or in American culture, this is one of the most difficult things, I think, to shake off this assumption that if God is working in my life, if God is present, and if God is blessing my life, uh, then that also necessarily means that my life is going to be uh, smooth and free from complexity, from difficulty, from trial, and from pain. Uh, even though as Christians we may acknowledge that, we may agree, but I think oftentimes as people living in the Western world, a world that is built around the individual, a culture that really is built around the assumption that my priorities, my well-being are the most important thing in my life. And so if there is a God, for those of us who believe in a God, then, then we easily kind of smuggle this assumption into the Christian faith, into our daily walk. Maybe even we don't realize it, that, that if God is present in my life, then life must be smooth. Life must be easy. And, and when things are difficult and, and hard, then, then we question, why, why, why is life so difficult? Aren't, aren't I serving God with my life? Aren't I giving Aren't I uh, seeking him spiritually every day, praying, reading his word, going to church? If I'm, if I'm seeking God, why are things so difficult? Why does life sometimes get so heavy? And we know when we take a step back, when we ask that question, that the, the, the message of Scripture is quite different. It's actually, it's actually greater than that. The message of Scripture is not that God will remove all trials, but that God will defeat the trials in your life by bringing strength 
and, and blessing and wisdom and grace for you to conquer in the midst of your difficulties. So God does not promise that he will make our life easy. Actually, he promised that he will equip us with the spiritual resources to conquer and to grow. And so the things that Satan seeks to make as a stumbling block in our life, the things, the the areas in our life where, where Satan tries to bring us down actually become stepping stones of spiritual growth. If you think about the ultimate example, Jesus himself, right? Jesus, the perfectly obedient one, the one who lived at the very epicenter of the will of God, and and at the most important, most obedient, most submissive moment of Jesus' life, he finds himself in the garden at night praying, intensely afraid, going through an intense spiritual struggle. So the gospel tells us the story of the God himself who suffered and the God who leads us through suffering. And when we look at the Bible, one of my favorite passages that equips us in this area, in this idea of spiritual suffering and spiritual stability and strength in the midst of difficulty is Ephesians chapter 6. I think you guys have uh, studied Ephesians in the past couple of years. We studied Ephesians uh, in the past couple of years too, and it's been one of the biggest blessings for us. And especially this text for me, it's become a really um, huge challenge. Every time I come back to this text, it's so convicting, and yet it's been such a huge kind of eye-opener for me personally to think about how do we endure? How do we stand strong? How do we learn to be those who are stable Christians in the midst of difficulties? And I want to direct our attention to the end of that passage, Ephesians chapter 6. He starts this whole topic of spiritual trials in in verse 10. And I want to direct our attention today to verses 18 through 20. It's kind of the closing section of of that passage. And I'll read it right now, and we'll kind of dive in here. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words might be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So as Paul is concluding this section of equipping us to be stable Christians in the midst of difficulties, uh, he directs our attention to this concept of prayer in the midst of the difficulties. And it's interesting because this section, verses 18 through 20, he devotes more time here, more words, to the concept of prayer than he does to any of the individual aspects of the armor of the Lord. In this passage, as you guys, some of you may remember, he's painting this picture of the Christian who is like like a spiritual soldier and that we need to be armed with spiritual resources. And he goes through these amazing things, um, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, uh, the helmet of salvation. And he kind of paints you as the spiritual soldier ready to endure difficulties in life. And here, he, he turns to this idea of prayer. And when he's talking about prayer, he talks about it more than he talks about any other element in the spiritual warfare arsenal. So for Paul, this is very important, this concept of prayer and how it plays into our spiritual stability. 
And the central truth that he's trying to get us to see, as we're going to see as we make our way through the text, is that the Christian who has the, the stability and maturity to stand firm in difficulties is, is, is a Christian whose life is marked by a certain kind of prayer. It's not just pray. He doesn't just give us a simple, con- simple command, just pray a lot. He actually get, goes into some really important detail about what kind of prayer is it that characterizes us uh, in our toughest moments. So what kind of prayer do we see in a stable, strong Christian? And how can we learn to be more stable and enduring in the midst of our difficulties? First of all, as we're looking at these verses, I think one of the things that jumps out at us is this sense of commitment. Paul says that we are to be praying at all times. It's interesting to notice that he doesn't, when he describes prayer, he drops the whole picture of the soldier. So he's, not, he's no longer talking about an aspect of this soldier that he's painted this mental picture of for us. When he was talking about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. So he's drawing all these amazing analogies, which Paul does really well. He's an amazing writer. He's a very visual writer. But here, when he talks about prayer, he actually, if you notice, he doesn't, he's not making analogies anymore. He's not saying that prayer is like the shield or the sword or something in, in the soldier's standing uh, position. He actually refers back to the whole person himself. The, the whole individual as a spiritual person is to be praying. So he, he reaches back kind of to the beginning of the passage where he's talking to us and he's saying, you guys, as you know the gospel, as you're a believer in Jesus, as you're a disciple of Jesus, as you're a member of the church, you will have spiritual trials and you need to learn to stand firm because life is difficult. And he says, we have to learn to stand firm. And then as he calls us to that command, stand firm, he goes through all the details of the armor of the Lord. And then in this closing section, he's coming back to that big picture. He's saying, back to the whole big picture praying at all times. In other words, prayer is not just an aspect. Prayer is something that fills everything you do. Prayer fills the whole life of this Christian soldier in the midst of challenges. And he uses this word all a lot of times. If we're reading carefully, praying at all times, but then he keeps going. He says, with all prayer and supplication. These two words, prayer and supplication, the different words that Paul uses here in the Greek, they're, they're kind of synonyms. They're, they're, they're the same words. He, he's not giving us two completely different words. He's just saying, when, when you're asking and when you're requesting all the time. In other words, he's saying that, that th- this act of asking God for help, is, it's, it has variety and it's all kinds of requests and it's all kinds of prayer needs. And it's all kinds of things that you come to God and say, God, please help me. Uh, as I was studying this, I was kind of reminded sometimes, I don't know if you, you ever feel this kind of when, when we're going through difficult seasons or when you're reflecting on your prayer life, I, 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 I catch myself asking, am I being too selfish in my prayers? Because lots of times, a lot of my prayers are all about asking for God's strength, asking for his work, asking for him to do this. Like I'm always asking and asking and asking and asking. And I, was, and I caught myself thinking a couple of weeks before this sermon, you know, am I being kind of, is, is there an imbalance in my prayer life? 
but as I'm looking at this text, it was, it was actually comforting to see that, you know what Paul says? That the bulk of prayer is you coming with all sorts of requests, with all sorts of needs, you coming and you asking. That's what needs to be happening. That's what God wants to see in us. He's, in, in other words, he's saying you're always praying and you're always coming to God. God wants to hear every kind of request, every kind of need is always coming out of your heart constantly to God. Notice the word all keeps going, though. All prayer and supplication, and then he says, for all the saints. In other words, your prayer life doesn't only come to the different needs or situations that you're in. He says, prayer, it fills every single relationship that you have. When you look at people, when you look at the relationships that you have at work or in the family or in the church, he's saying that in every situation, for all the saints, for all the life of God's people, you are to be praying. And instead, in, in case we're still not kind of getting the message with this whole all, he says, with all perseverance. So all perseverance shows that, that this whole concept of complete commitment, with all perseverance, it's not just an afterthought. Prayer is not just something that we do because we remembered, oh, that's right, I should pray about that. When Paul is saying, all perseverance, he's saying that prayer, it occupies a large portion of our um, energy, of our thinking, of our inner life. So all prayer, all endurance for all the saints. It's not an afterthought. It's not an extra credit thing. Paul's just saying that this concept of asking God is filling everything you do. I like how John MacArthur once said, he said that uh, prayer, it's like breathing for the Christian. Um, it doesn't matter what you're doing, where, you're, where, what you're, where you are, what your situation you're in, you're always breathing. And, and that's, that's, to the Christian, that is prayer. It, every, it, fills <clears throat> it fills everything that we do. We can't do anything without it because we're always just speaking to God in every moment, in every situation. So what we want to see here is this, in this first observation as we're kind of looking through the text as we're making our way through it, is that a Christian who stands firm in life, whether that be you're facing difficulties in your relationships at work, at school, in the family, wh whether you have internal struggles of identity, of fears, of, of, of anxiety, or, or your depression, the, the Christian that's able to stand firm is, is the Christian that's constantly filled in a life of prayer. And oftentimes we may kind of, you know, wonder why, why is it that, um, that I crack so easily when pressure comes my way? You know, when, when I have a nice smooth week, everything seems nice, reading my Bible, I'm, 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 you know, I'm in fellowship with people, everything's wonderful, I feel God's blessing in my life. But then when things start to not go right, when the family is sick or the kids are disobedient or the bills are, we're having trouble keeping up or, or somebody's giving us a hard time at work, when things start to press down and we feel pressure, our spiritual maturity starts to crack really easily. Paul, Paul tells us here that if you're not a praying Christian constantly, if you're not breathing a life of spirit, a spiritual breathing, praying constantly to God, asking him, opening up your heart, he says you're going to crack. You're not going to be able to stand firm. So to the extent that we learn to pray, 
to the extent that we cultivate a lasting and ongoing connection with God, conversation with God in all of life, to that extent, we are able to stand firm. Secondly, though, and, and we're kind of going to make our way through this text in layers. We go through all three verses, and then we come back, and we pick up another characteristic, and we go through all three, because it's all interwoven here um, in a really beautiful way. The second characteristic, though, that we want to see uh, in, the pr- in the strong praying Christian is that this prayer, it is marked by a desperate sense of dependence on God. I think oftentimes, if you're like me, again, even last night as I was reading through, reviewing the sermon, and, and at every time I get to the end of that first point, complete commitment, like prayer me- must fill all of my life, and I, this kind of sense of guilt starts to like creep in, like, oh my gosh, like, I don't pray, I, like, I have a hard time maybe staying consistent, even praying every morning and praying before meals. Like, and now here you are laying it down on me, t- telling me that prayer must fill every single aspect of my life. How am I ever going to do that? How am I ever going to work up the, the strength and, and the, the maturity to do something like that? And I think because of our tendency for self-centeredness, our, our, our sinful heart always wants to repackage every biblical truth as a personal challenge. You know, God tells us something, and, we re- and instead of hearing what God's actually trying to tell us, we, 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 we take it as law. We take it as, as, okay, so if I'm a good, strong Christian, this is how I must behave. I must be this good. Instead of seeing how this truth actually works in our life, how this truth is meant to transform your heart so that you see real change. So the question, when we look at this idea of complete commitment to prayer, we should be asking ourselves, if, if I don't live a life of prayer, the answer is not just that I must heap on more guilt and pressure. I need to pray harder and pray more. But, but the question I must ask myself is, why don't I pray a lot? And how does prayer work in the life of the Christian? If I look at a person who prays a lot, why is it that they have a life of committed prayer? And that's one of the things that Paul is really clearly unpacking for us here. He's and, and, and he kind of is echoing what I recently um, read Tim Keller wrote. And I, and I love how Tim Keller kind of summarizes this simple truth that we see here in this text. He says, to pray is to accept that we are and always will be completely dependent on God for everything. To pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. So, This life of constant prayer, it's driven by, the engine of prayer is is driven by our sense of desperate dependence. Notice how Paul emphasizes this idea throughout the whole text. Coming back to this phrase that we saw earlier, with all prayer and supplication. Paul Paul is is making an assumption here about the Christian. Paul's making an assumption that, that we are always, as, as you're battling life, as you're facing difficulties, the assumption is that you are always asking, that you are always talking to God, and that you live in a constant expectation that God will answer. The only reason you're going to be asking God in every situation of your life for grace and strength and wisdom and endurance is because you live with a constant daily expectation that God answers, that God supplies, that God leads, that God provides. When we learn to see 
life as a true battlefield, when we learn to see life as it really is, when we learn to see the depth of the challenge around us in the world, we, 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 we should be overwhelmed. We should feel very weak and little, and we should be desperately dependent on God, thinking, God, without your grace, I can't do this. Without your grace, I'm just a weak person. I can't do anything on my own. I can't stand on my own two feet and accomplish anything because without your grace, my sin comes charging back in, and down I go. So when we look, when we look at the world, when we look at our own life, when we look at ourselves in the mirror in the morning, the question is, what do you see? Do you see, when you look at your life, do you see maybe just kind of your own little story of your life and your personal plans and your goals and the things that you look forward to personally in your own life? Or do you see a world created, like, like earlier we were praying here, a world that is created reflecting the glory of an amazing, mighty God, a world that is also broken, a world that is in peril. When we look at the world around us, do we see uh, people? Do we see that we are created in the image of God and that we are marred by sin? Do we see a world that is in rebellion to the Creator? Do we see a world at war? Do we see a world that is aching for redemption? Do we see a world that is in need of truth? So very often, we don't pray because we don't see ourselves as dependent. We don't see our, ourselves as desperate for God's work. Sure, we may maybe acknowledge that we need God's help and God provides and we're always in need of God, but we don't really see that it's life and death. We don't see the world as one big giant spiritual struggle. You know, there's that, that story in, in, in the Old Testament where Elisha, the prophet Elisha, is standing on the wall with one of his servants and the, the foreign army is charging in and the guy's just shaking in fear and Elisha is calm and he says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And, he's, and, he sh and God shows him that there's this amazing army, spiritual army that God is providing, protecting his people. So what do we see? Are we seeing just from our little personal personal life bubble view of life? Or, or are we learning to see through Scripture the biblical storyline on display all around us on every billboard, on every radio ad, every interaction with people, everywhere we go? The story of brokenness, the story of glory, the story of need of redemption, it's all around us. So as, once again, Tim, Tim Keller says, you will not grow in prayer until you are completely desperate. And I love that because that re really pins it to the point. If, if I'm not praying a lot, it probably means that, you know, I, I depend on God, but when you, when you, um, when you think about your life and, and you think about the things that bring you peace, the things that give you dependence, uh, the things that you depend on, the things that you lean on for um, contentment and satisfaction, you still find other things other than God. Maybe your money, maybe your work, your career, your relationships, your, your family, your savings account. There's a billion other things that you could be putting your rest in, your faith in, thinking that those things deliver on their promises and that I'm not really desperate for God. 
And if, and if we lean on those things, we are not seeing the world as it is. We are not seeing this world as dust, as, as in desperate need. And we don't see God as the only one who can provide grace. I love John Piper's words here. John Piper says, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it into a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. And it's, and it's easy for us to, to fall into that, 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 that mindset when we live in a culture that's so prosperous. We're some of the most prosperous people in all of human history. Um, probably nobody in here, uh, other than maybe if your pipes froze this week, nobody had a problem with getting water or food or shelter. You know, We, we have so much, and we're so comfortable. And, and when, we, when we look at our lives, we kind of assume that all the things that we have and all the comforts that we have, that those things are just going to be there tomorrow. So it's driven by desperate dependence. But notice that he keeps going with this whole dependence theme. He says that you're praying in the spirit, that you're not praying of yourself, you're praying in the spirit. And I love that because we can spend a whole sermon series on just that little phrase, praying in the spirit. But if you remember Jesus' words before Jesus left the disciples, he said, I will send a helper and he will work in your hearts. He will, che- he will be your internal truth teacher. And that's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's an amazing truth that is really unique to the Christian faith only, that God, that God knows that we are so dependent on him and that God created us in total dependence for him and that when God saves us and redeems us in relationship with him, he actually lives within us, that God doesn't just give you a lot of good things and send you on your way, that God desires to live within us. And if you're a saved person today, if you're a follower of Jesus, to just to think about this baffling Reality that God in his spirit, God fully dwells inside of us. And Jesus said, he's your internal truth teacher. He's your guide. He's your source. And even then, when you don't even know how to pray right and you can't even pray correctly, you understand that you're overwhelmed. You understand that you can't figure out all the right needs. You can't even figure out all the right things to pray for. That's why you are indwelt by God himself. He guides you. He leads you. He is your source. Um, kind of reminds us of that text in Romans 8, where Paul says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we still groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope is not that now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we await for it with patience in the same way the spirit himself he helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for or how to pray as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words so Paul says that it is the Spirit of God who lives inside you, and he is, God connects you 
to himself by putting himself inside of you. And Paul says when you're praying, you're praying in the Spirit. Be praying in the Spirit. Be mindful of this simple fact that without God's help, you can't even pray right. But it's okay because God lives inside you and he seeks to be working and awakening your soul and bringing you into his presence every single day. He's there. New grace is there every single day. The whole act of prayer in the spirit is an act of total dependence. But also, before we move on, he continues this idea of dependence, this desperate dependence. Praying for all the saints. He says, praying for all the saints and for me. And notice what Paul says here. He says, for me, pray, please. And he says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. When we learn to see our own desperate dependence, we also learn to see that we are all weak people and we all need God's help. And we, so, so if you are learning to live in dependence on God, you also realize that everybody around you needs God's grace and you become a person who prays for others. It, it just automatically kind of turns on your view of other people and, and the needs all around you. And you become a person who is always seeing, always thinking, if God brings a certain brother or sister to your mind during the week, you just quickly engage in prayer for that person because everybody needs more grace. Everybody needs strength and support. And it's interesting that Paul here, he doesn't just say pray for all the saints. He doesn't just make it like this general concept, pray for people. He says, pray for me. And he, he devotes a lot of attention here. He, he pauses and says, pray for me. And notice when Paul says this, how vulnerable he's being. The capital A Apostle Paul, I mean, one of the greatest evangelists, I don't know, we can argue maybe one of the greatest MVPs in God's game in 2,000 years. Apostle Paul has done a lot. I mean, he's an amazing, astounding figure in the life of the church. And this amazing man of faith, he says, please pray for me because I'm afraid to. He says, I lack boldness and I need God to give me boldness. He says, I'm in chains, I'm in prison for the gospel, I'm not afraid to stand up for Jesus, and yet even though I've been so bold in the past, even though I've been so strong in the past, Paul himself says, I need, I need that every day because, because I still get afraid, I still lose my footing, I still get insecure, and, and, and I lose my confidence, so please pray for me. And I love that because Paul himself He's not just talking about an abstract idea. Paul himself, he knows this truth is so vital. He says, I need you guys. He's just written, Ephesians is, is uh, it's been argued by, you know, different theologians as it's been kind of like the most comprehensive summary of the entire theology of Paul in, in six little chapters. It's an amazing book. And he's just written this whole letter to these people, and at the very end of it, he's just this weak man. He says, please pray for me. I need boldness. He understands that he is weak, but he also understands that prayer is real. It changes things. Prayer really works. God works through prayer, and he, ne he needs help, and he says, please pray for me. So when we're in our struggles, when we are going through difficult seasons and even difficult moments in our regular weekly life, 
Who is praying for you? Are you asking people around you, please be praying for me? Uh, I, I, again, we were talking with our, uh, we had an elders retreat recently, and um, just a really interesting thing that we kind of cut ourselves like, you know, we don't, we don't, we aren't nearly um, comf- as comfortable as we should be constantly asking each other for prayer support. Um, we, we ask when there's a major medical problem or there's a tragedy, but in daily, weekly rhythm and grind and difficulty and pressures, we're not asking each other for help, and we need to be. We need to learn to do that. We need to learn to do that because God wants to supply your life with, with strength and grace through the prayers of people around you. Paul knew that very well. He wasn't afraid to make himself vulnerable and, and weak-sounding um, to ask for it. So complete commitment to prayer, which is our first point, it, it's driven by desperate dependence. And this kind of highlights this idea that, that, that prayer is, is it's the ultimate source of strength. It's the ultimate source of strength and power in your life. But, but it is the ultimate source of strength that comes to you through the ultimate expression of weakness. We, al- we always think that strength looks strong. But in the Bible, everything is backwards, right? Jesus said, the first will be the last. The strongest is the servant. And here, Paul's highlighting that idea where he says the most powerful person, the standing, stable, strong Christian, is the weak Christian who knows he's so weak and needs God's grace every single day. He's always coming to God every day. So powerful prayer is the ultimate source of strength through that ultimate expression of weakness. And finally, perseverance. To this end, keep alert with all perseverance. To this end, keep alert with all perseverance. He says that in verse 18. And it's interesting when we break down the text, even in its grammar, we see that there's actually only two main commands in this text. There's two main commands, or imperative verbs. The first command is pray. He's telling us to pray. And the second thing he says is stay alert. Stay alert, the Greek word, it's just one word. Um, Be alert and pray. So there's two essential things that Paul is trying to get us to do here in this text. Pray and be alert. And when we hear that phrase, be alert, it should kind of toggle your memory, maybe. That's a really really common New Testament phrase, um, watch and pray, or be alert. It's, it's a phrase that pulls us right back into that scene in the garden with Jesus at night, on that last night before his crucifixion, where Jesus himself comes to his disciples and says, watch and pray with me, please. This analogy of sleep is very interesting, that Paul borrows that analogy here and says, keep alert, don't fall asleep. It's a very interesting analogy. Don't fall asleep. What does he actually mean? What kind of sleep is he actually talking about? I think that we get a a much clearer picture if we read that passage in Matthew 26. I'll read it for you. Where Jesus is actually asking his disciples to pray and to stay alert. Same same phrase going on here. Same situation. And obviously a, a spiritual battle going on in that text. Matthew 26 verses 36 through 44. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here, watch with me. 
And going a little further, he fell on his face and praying said, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came back to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So notice, notice this command that Jesus is saying. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What is the great challenge here? What is he actually asking them to do? Notice that he's asking for much more than just physical alertness. He's talking about something deeper here. If they were have merely sat around, stayed awake, and been playing a game with each other, they still wouldn't be fulfilling his request. There's something deeper going on when he says, watch and pray. There's something deeper going on when he says, don't fall asleep. Even though physical sleep in this situation with Jesus, physical sleep was one of the main results of failure, but what was he talking about when he was saying, stay awake? Well, if we look at that situation, we see that when they fell asleep, we ask why. Why did they fall asleep? They fell asleep because their physical needs became a greater reality to them than the spiritual struggle that Jesus was enduring right in front of them, right? So why did they fall asleep? They fell asleep because they were sleepy. And in their consciousness, they just had dinner. They had a whole evening with, with Jesus. The main thing to them was that it's late. I'm sleepy, right? They were not conscious of a spiritual war going on in that garden that night. What if, say, if we draw a hypothetical situation, what if um, Satan himself appeared to them in visible form? What if they could see a, a, a person, if, if, if they found, if they come upon a person in the garden dying, a, a real person who was dying, or if they saw Satan in visible form, all of a sudden, they probably would not be very sleepy. But actually, the interesting thing is both of those things were happening in the garden that night. Satan was there, and Jesus was experiencing a sort of spiritual death, a struggle. He says, I'm so sorrowful even unto death. So, they, they were in the middle of a spiritual battle. There was spiritual torment and death, and there was spiritual powers working in that garden that night, much bigger than their own, but they weren't aware because they were more aware of their physical needs at that moment. So they didn't have the eyes to see what was going on. So the battle to stay alert, the battle to continue in prayer, it's not just about praying a lot or making yourself do some specific action. It's, it's, it's a battle between competing views of reality. What is the world that you see? We asked this question earlier. When you see the world a certain way, then you will have perseverance. Then you will be awake and alert. It's about seeing the world correctly. So how do we fall asleep? What does it mean to fall asleep today for us? It means that we let our personal desires, our personal ambitions, our, our, our specific goals of our uh, joys and our expectations from life, 
eclipse from our view the reality of God's spiritual kingdom, the reality of the gospel, the reality of the need around us, the reality of heaven and hell, always at stake every day all around us. When we let our personal spiritual needs or our personal physical needs, material challenges, become the main thing, we have fallen asleep in a sense. It's the, it doesn't mean that you're lazy. A person who is spiritually asleep could be very active, could be very successful in their business or in their career. They could be very active in their life, accomplishing a lot, but they are spiritually asleep because to them, this thing right here, right in front of me, this is the whole story. I'm not seeing the big picture. I'm not seeing the need that Jesus is calling me to. I'm not seeing the commands that he's bringing to my life today to, to be a light. I'm not seeing the need of the world around me. I just see my little life and my little priorities. And that is what it means to be asleep. So staying alert is about a perspective of the world. Do we see the world through Jesus' eyes? And as we're kind of pulling this together and closing, I think stay alert and watch and pray is also a powerful way to finish here because there's something else very important that these words show us, right? Here in that picture in the garden, we see Jesus praying. Jesus, the one who experienced the ultimate spiritual triad. If, if we're talking about the armor of the Lord in Ephesians 6, these, all these verses about the strong Christian in the midst of battle, the, the strong person of faith. Who is the picture that Paul is painting of, the ultimate example of the, the spiritual warrior? It's Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who experienced the ultimate difficulty and fire and struggle. And, and he, in the middle of all that, what was Jesus doing? He was praying that night. He was praying to the Father. So when we consider this whole example, we see that where do we find a perfect example of complete commitment, desperate dependence, and perseverance? We don't find it in any person in the history of the church, not even the Apostle Paul himself. No human being offers us the perfect prayer model. It's Jesus himself, the Savior, who offers us the perfect picture of prayer. He endured the worst, and he did it in perfect endurance and strength, right? So we will never be perfect prayer warriors. We will never be perfect spiritually stable individuals. We will crumble, we will stumble, we will fall, we will compromise because we are weak, right? And I think when we talk about prayer, it's prayer and evangelism, there's a couple of topics that are classic uh, guilt trip topics for Christians, you know? We listen to a whole sermon on prayer, and, and we start this pity party. Oh, my goodness, I'm such a wretch. I don't, I'm, I'm such a weak Christian. I don't pray enough. I need to do more. I need to be stronger. Same thing happens with evangelism. Same thing happens with a couple of other topics that we just, like, we become guilty. And we have this pity party. But the gospel actually confronts that. The gospel confronts that pity party, and it tells us that, Actually, wait a minute, your weakness and your imperfection in prayer and your struggle, that's not even the main point. Of course you are weak. Of course you will fail. Of course you don't pray as you ought. And you will never measure up to the full standard. You will never be the perfect standing spiritual warrior. You'll never be that person. The point is to see Jesus, the one who stood for you when you cannot stand. 
the one who stood the test that you could never stand. And because he stood the test, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to try to prove yourself to the world because God accepts you on the basis of your faith in him, on the basis of your dependence in him, not on the basis of your personal works and your accomplishments. So when you see that the point of the gospel is not to make you try harder, the point of the gospel is to show you that you could never be what you need to be. But when you look at Jesus, he is the one who has done it. He is the one who has showed us the perfect model. He has endured the spiritual trial that we could never endure. Every spiritual difficulty we will endure, you can always remember Jesus had it worse. And he was human to the fullest. He endured it in all the pain that we endure. He was sweating drops of blood. He was afraid almost to death. And he did that for our sake. So the gospel points us to the beauty and power of the Savior. He's the one who makes us something new. We don't make ourselves something new. We don't tell ourselves to get our act together and learn to pray better. We know we struggle, and in our struggle, we admit that and we look to Jesus, the one who gives us grace every single day, the one who his story is what makes us something new. His story makes us stronger, more mature, more capable. He has taken that uh, battle on our behalf. So we stand, uh, we, we endure, we learn to pray, we learn to be dependent only when you look at Jesus, when you learn his story, when you learn what he did for you, and you make that story the daily practice of your life, when you see that you struggle because you will and you fail because you will, you learn to look to Jesus in that garden who has prayed perfectly on your behalf and he has done it for you and he gives grace every single day. So as we're kind of closing this out, I think the questions that we should ask ourselves, do I, do I, am I, am I looking to Jesus? Am I learning to look to Jesus as the perfect example in the midst of my challenges? What is the reality that I live in today? Why don't I pray as I should? And why, don't I, why, don't, why am I sometimes weak? What is the view of the world that I live in? Do I live in my own little reality of personal goals and ambitions and desires? Or do I see the bigger picture that all of my goals are part of God's amazing story? And it's not that I shouldn't have my own goals and I shouldn't have my own life, but that God is wanting to use you in his story of redemption. Do we see the need of the world around us? Do we see the desperate need for the gospel around us? Do we see our own daily need every single day? So when we look at Jesus in all these things, we are both convicted and we are built up, right? We, we look to Jesus, we're like, I could never do that, but that's the whole point. I couldn't, and he could on, by, on my behalf. God knows that I could never be perfect, and that's why God came and he was perfect on my behalf. And every single day, as a rhythm of life, as, as the thing that always brings us back to prayer is Christ. We are accepted on his behalf. We are confident. We are strong because we maybe are kind of scrawny, weak spiritual soldiers, but we follow behind the, the elder brother, as he called himself, the, the, the savior who goes before us into the battle, the one who taught us, the one who has already conquered the enemy, and the one who gives every single day to us new grace. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that 
that in a world that is so engulfed in struggle and pain and difficulty and complexity, Lord, that you don't leave us alone. We thank you also, Lord, that you don't allow our lives to be perfectly peaceful because then we would forget of our need for you. We thank you, Lord, for the challenges that we have to endure every single day. We thank you that your gospel victory comes in our life through suffering, that your gospel victory comes through the challenges, that you daily supply us grace to stand firm, to to grow, and to put your gospel to the test in the midst of our pain. Lord, we thank you for Christ who has stood on our behalf. We thank you for Christ and his suffering in the garden, his suffering on the cross. And we thank you that as we look to Jesus, we see the perfect example of prayer, that, that through the whole struggle, he was engaged in prayer. He was in complete commitment. He was desperately dependent on you, Lord, and he was persevering to the very end, Lord. Teach us to pray this way. Teach us to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Teach us to see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus, Lord. We thank you that we are so much more broken than we even know, Lord, and yet in Christ, you accept us. In Christ, we have freedom from guilt, from condemnation, because we are accepted by faith in Jesus, not by our own works. Lord, and we just pray that you teach us to daily bathe in this grace, to stand back up even after we fail, and to know that we can come to your presence every single day, that you want to hear our pleas, you want to hear our requests, that we are desperate for you every single day, and you are eager to answer. You are eager to supply. You are eager to work in our hearts and to show us the power of your salvation every single day, Lord. Thank you for this amazing truth, and teach us and lead us this week as we go back everywhere we go, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.